Persecution and the Gospel. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow, don't you love the book of Acts? It shows us how the early Christians did things and how maybe we are to do things too. Peter and John had just healed a man crippled from birth, chapter 3. And when asked how, they said it was Jesus Christ who healed the man. And that salvation was found in no one else but him. <laughs> they didn't get in trouble for healing. They got in trouble for speaking. They got roughed up and thrown into jail and told never to speak about Jesus again. Persecution. In our gospel reading for last Sunday, Jesus prays to our Heavenly Father. And he basically says... The world's going to be a hard place for God's children. The world did not know him or receive him. It's going to be the same for us. So Jesus prays in John chapter 17, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus tells us we're going to be persecuted and it's going to be because of his word. And we're going to be protected. I want to show you how God is going to do that in our lives. How he's going to protect us. Christians will get in trouble today for speaking about God. We used to be able to get up and say that we believed because after all, we live in a free country with freedom of speech. But that's not the case anymore. And it's going to be increasingly hard for us and for our young people to say what we believe. Let's say you get up in your science class and say, hey, God made the world. Just quote that verse from the Bible, God made the world. And all of a sudden you're going to find yourself in trouble. If you disagree with the new abortion pill that the government wants to make available to every woman and teenage girl in Canada, 
then you are going to get shamed. If you disagree with assisted suicide, then you're going to get shamed. If you disagree with adultery, you're going to get shamed and you are going to get threats. Why is there going to be persecution of Christians? Jesus tells us, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. So the word of God is central to the issue of persecution. It's the foundational issue. Let me explain. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think wrote the Bible? Because this question is really the question. And it's interesting because in our day, like every day, there's disagreement between Christians and non-Christians on various issues, be it gender, be it sexuality, be it marriage, be it spirituality. There are these conflicts that come over various issues. But the bottom line, Christians believe the Bible, non-Christians don't. So it's not that we just disagree on some issues. That's not the issue. It's that we disagree on the issue that underpins all the issues. And that is, is this book that people wrote about God? Or is this a book that God wrote through people? What do you think? There's a big difference there. If it's a book that people wrote about God, then, well, there's philosophy, psychology, sociology, other religions, you know. There are lots of books like that. And this is one of the books on the shelf with all the other books that claims to have a little perspective on God. If this is the book that God wrote, then it's above all the other books because God is above all. It's the only perfect book. It's not a word about God. It's a word from God. It's not speculation what we think God is like. It's revelation. It's not how we perceive God. It's how God reveals himself to be. And that's entirely, entirely different. And so you need to know this. We believe that this is the Word of God, and it alone is the Word of God. And part of the reason is that the Bible keeps telling us that's exactly what it says. I'll give you an example right here in the Bible reading, Acts 4.25. The early Christians are praying, and they say, Sovereign Lord. And then from memory, they quote Psalm 2, which is written 1,000 years prior through David. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Through whose mouth? David. So the words came through David, but they came from they came from the Holy Spirit. They came from God. David is the messenger. He's not the author. Big difference, right? He's the messenger. The message comes from God through David's voice. Do you get that? It is the only book that God wrote. It is without error. It is authoritative. It is to be loved. It is to be obeyed. This is God's word. And this is so important because what you'll hear out there, and even among those who profess to be Christians, is maybe they'll say, well, that's what Moses said, or that's what Paul's opinion or that's what David said. No, he can't do that. That's what God said. You can't say, 
well, I disagree with Moses and I disagree with Paul because what you're saying is, I disagree with God. And that's an issue. And what frustrates me more than people who reject what the Bible says is people who edit what the Bible says. That's even more frustrating. If God says something and someone doesn't like it and they reject it, that grieves me, but at least they have integrity. If they try and edit what God says, they have no integrity because they are rejecting God. And they're trying to be God's editor, not God's messenger. See, we all come to the Bible and we're, we're all offended by something and we all want to edit it out and we all want it to say something it doesn't. But we can't because it's the book that God wrote. So rather than editing the Bible, we need to study the Bible. Maybe we need to learn. Maybe, we, maybe when we disagree with the Bible, we need to change our minds, not try and change what the Bible says. We also believe in verbal, plenary, as inspiration. That's what we believe, verbal, very words of Scripture, not just the ideas, but the concepts, the words. All Scripture is God-breathed, right? Jesus says that every I will be dotted, every T crossed. He came to fulfill the whole lot. Verbal, the very words are God's. Plenary, in the whole Bible. You can't say, well, that's in the Old Testament, it's old. It's still from God, the whole Bible. Inspiration. It's God's working through a human personality. So Peter reads like a fisherman. And Luke reads like a doctor to bring his word to pass perfectly through someone he calls a servant. Sometimes they speak, sometimes they write, sometimes they do both, but they're messengers on behalf of the Lord. That's what we believe. So here's my big question. Who do you think wrote the Bible? And you need to be resolved on that fundamental issue. And then you need to be able to articulate it to other people. And you do that in part by studying and reading the Bible for yourself. I'll give you an interesting study that was recently conducted by the American Bible Society. 88% of North Americans own a printed Bible. That's a lot. Almost, almost, 100% have access to the internet. Whether it's at work, on their computers, whether it's in their smartphones, they can just go to the library and it's free. There are computers and internet access almost everywhere. Online, we have more Bible study tools than at any time in the history of the world. Right at your fingertips. It's unbelievable. Bible translations, study tools, language helps, cultural studies, podcasts, vodcasts, online classes. It's unbelievable amount of resources God has put freely at our disposal. Unbelievable. Yet, have people read it? Have people read the Bible? No. Well, 60%, 88% own a printed Bible and have access to 100% digital Bible. 60% of North Americans wished they read it but have not. That's what the survey said. Hey, God wrote a book and I have access to it. I should really read that sometime. That's like starving to death at the grocery store. Like, whose fault is that if we haven't read the book? I love to teach you the Bible, but I can't be your only Bible. You've got to study for yourself. You've got to read for yourself. We want you learning all you can about the God who you believe is sovereign and in control.
And we're here to help you do that. But you got to open that book. I tell you this because we are in an age where there is greater hostility toward Christian faith. And those who are Christians have a lower biblical knowledge. They haven't even read the book themselves. They don't really know what the Bible says. So we need you to know what the Bible says. We need you to study what the Bible says. We need you to believe what the Bible says. We need you to obey what the Bible says. We need you to share what the Bible says because there is a world out there that doesn't know what God has to say and they need to. That's why God gave us the book and the mission. And that's what the early Christians did. They proclaimed what God says. And they got in trouble for it. They got shamed for it. They got persecuted. And then look what they did. And this is so important. Because all of you at one time or another, you're going to get in trouble because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're going to tell someone what the Bible says. And it's going to get you into trouble. Jesus himself said so, and here's what they did. They got together with community. You see that? After Peter and John got into trouble, they went back to their friends. When they were released, were released they went to their friends, their people. The church is going to be more important than ever. My question for you is what Christian friends do you go to? Acts 4.23 They went to their friends, their own people. Which Christian friends do you go to in your time of need and which friends come to you in their time of need? And when we talk about friendship and community, we do so in the midst of a very fractured society. I mean, you all know the statistics. The nuclear family is nuclear in that it is exploded. And the family's fragmented and fractured and everybody's divided and separated and spread out. And it can be a very lonely day where you may have a lot of online relationships, but you don't have a lot of face-to-face -face relationships. You're not sure who you can trust, who you can confide in, who you can lean on, who you can run to. Peter and John get out of prison. They run to their friends. And here's the truth. It was a good thing they had their friends before their tragedy struck. And their tragedy was they just experienced some persecution and they were thrown in jail. And might I encourage you to have Christian friends before your tragedies come, because they will come. Before your trials come, they will come. Before your troubles come, have Christian friends. And I would just beg you to pursue Christian friendships before it's seemingly an urgent need. Why? Because you're going to need them. And the question is not just who can you lean on, but who can lean on you? Who are you a friend to? Who are you inviting saying, you know, if you need me, call me. I'm checking in. I'm praying. I love you. I'm concerned for you. I want to be here for you. I'm part of your life. You can depend on me. And when we think of community, what we th often think of is people I can use to make my life better. But that's not the Christian concept, is it? The Christian concept of community is people I can serve and love because Jesus loves them. And that's what the early church was like, and that's one of the ways God protects his people. So when you hear this, 
and are thinking, yeah, that's right. I need better friends. No, you need to be a better friend. All right, the Bible says in Proverbs, he who wants a friend must himself be friendly. So if you don't have a lot of friends, then be friendly. And this is a great place to start here in the church because there's friendly people here in the church. Friendly people have friends and people who are friends toward others have others reciprocate friendship toward them. Who do you run to in your time of need? What a profound question. And let me tell you very clearly, they should be Christians. It's, let me say, it's great to have non-Christian friendships. Absolutely great. You love them. You enjoy them. But when troubled times come and you're looking for support and you're looking for counsel, you need to run to God's people to hear God's word and to seek God's will. So look what else is so important when you're feeling persecuted and experiencing trouble. Look what they did. They prayed. Acts 4.24 They lifted their voices together to God. They prayed together. This is why Christian friendship is so important. Your non-Christian friends may be able to give you counsel, but not prayer. They may say, well, based on my experience and based on my background and based upon my perspective, here's what I would counsel you to do. And it may or may not be helpful, may or may not be wise, but they can't pray for you. They can't ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. They're not going to do that for you. They don't believe in God. They're not going to open the scriptures with you as these friends are doing here. I mean, troubles come, right? Persecution is rising. My goodness, what did we hear Jesus do? He prayed for his friends, knowing they would be going through persecution. And would you please do these things that the early church did? They opened the Bible. Of course, they had the Bible memorized, lots of it. They sought Christian friendship community of the faithful and they prayed together I mean these three things are like legs on a stool if one is missing that stool's going to fall over some of you are like you know I study the Bible but without Christian friends and prayer mm, it's going to fall over some of you say well I, I pray and have Christian friends I just only hear the Bible on Sundays if and when I get to church it's going to fall over I study the Bible and I pray, but I don't have a lot of Christian friends. It's going to fall over. This is like a three-legged stool. There's balance. God's word is open. God's people are together. And then prayer occurs. Hey, that sounds like church. And here's what I've seen in years of being a pastor. People who don't have these three things in place, well, eventually they leave the faith. They leave the church. Eventually they turn their back on Jesus. Eventually they wander away from the faith. They don't come back until God allows a crisis in their life. People who leave the church because they're led to believe the Bible does not answer their questions. The people disappoint them. They didn't feel cared for. Or their prayer was ineffective. They leave for different reasons. I need you to hear this. Not as condemnation. 
but as an invitation. Not as something you have to do, but something you get to do. You get to study the very Word of God. Think about that. And I've got to say, I'm so proud of the women of our church, especially the mothers, because so many are in Bible study. And it's great to see. And if they got questions, they ask. That's what us pastors are here for. We love answering Bible questions. And if you've got, you've got God's people getting together, you got to get out of your comfort zone and get into the Christian community and pray. Pray for one another through the week. Call, text, email, get together. Praying for one another. The shortest distance between two people is prayer. Why is prayer so important? Well, it's the cure for our grumbling. I don't want to be a grumbler or a complainer. So I take what's bothering me to my Heavenly Father in prayer. Prayer is the cure for our gossiping. I don't want to be a gossip. So instead of talking to others, I'm going to talk to God about other people that bother me. Wow. The early Christians do these three things. They open the Bible, they gather together, and they pray. That sounds like church to me. Now they're in the midst of a hard season, so my next question for you is, when tough times come, do you trust or doubt the sovereignty of God? The church here in Acts, like in our own day, is facing opposition. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed that, there's been a massive cultural shift. It's happened in my own lifetime. I mean, how many of you fairly recently have put away your Christian t-shirts? You're not wearing those anymore. You're not waving the Jesus flag quite as high because the culture has shifted and you are afraid of ridicule. ridicule. So what do you do? And in those seasons when it seems like the cultural tide is against your team and or personally in your own life when circumstances make it feel as if you're losing and it's not going well. And so often the question rises in our minds, where is God in all this? But look how they pray. Sovereign God. What does sovereign mean? It means God is in control. He is the Lord of everything. Sovereign. Now let me say this. We tend to view the sovereignty of God more easily when things are going more positively. Hey, I got 4.0 grade point average. Hey, I won the lottery. Someone far more interesting than you wants to date you. God's sovereign. God's in control. When something good happens to us. That's pretty easy. How about you flunked, you got fired, they dumped you. You've got cancer. Where's God? When that day comes, what's your tendency? Is it to trust or doubt the sovereignty of God? Is God Lord of all? And is God Lord of all time? Or is he Lord just some of the time? God is in control. 
they viewed their persecution of Peter and James as part of God's plan. That's what they did. It's amazing. I want you to know this. God is the Lord of everything and he is in control. And you just think about it. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to save you. He's got a vested interest in you and he loves you. Do you think he's going to sit idly by when he sees you persecuted or in trouble? I don't think so. God is like a mother who comes to the aid of her crying child. He's going to come to your aid, fill you with his Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter, who is called the Counselor, and he's going to do that so you can continue to speak the Word of God with all boldness. That's what your God is going to do for you. So I want to thank God today because he gives us his Word. His promise, right? The words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they are life. And I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. You're hearing his word. And now I need you to gather together. Find a Christian church. Find Christian community. Make Christian friends. And then pray. And pray together with them. That would be so cool. Because God is sovereign. He is Lord of all. Amen.